The RSVP Trust, changing lives around the world. Hi, thanks for listening to the podcast today. Uh, do join us for the RSVP Healing Conference uh, this year on Saturday the 17th of July. We've got my good friend Roy Todd coming who sees amazing miracles in his uh, ministry. Uh, Roy's a great guy. I've known him for many years and I know we're going to be really blessed by his teaching and his ministry. He's a real inspiration. So that's Saturday the 17th of July. Uh, do book in. It's uh, advanced booking only and all the details are on the website which is www.rsvptrust.co.uk and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you in Ipswich. But now over to today's message. So let's look at the scripture today. Luke 15 is really, there's three parables in Luke 15 about things that got lost. Uh, A lost sheep, a lost coin or ring, and a lost son. And I really want to look from verse uh, 11, uh, where Jesus talks about the so-called lost son. Um, I'm conducting a bit of an experiment in my own walk with God this year. I've been a Christian about 30 years, a little bit more than that. And uh, I've been a preacher for about 25 of those years and so there's a lot, I don't know if I've read the whole of the Bible because I'm not one of these people that works methodically through it, but I, I've read pretty much most of the words on most pages. And um, the danger, and especially if you're only reading it to study to think of something uh, intelligent to say, is you don't, really, you don't really engage with it. So this year, uh, through the recommendation of a friend, I, I'm really focusing on just reading the Gospels. So when I'm doing my daily readings, uh, when, I, when I remember to do them, I'll be honest, uh, I'm, I'm just reading the Gospels. And in the Gospels, I'm really focusing on the words in red in my Bible, which are the words that Jesus spoke. Because it's interesting that St. Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, and he was, he was uh, after the period of the Gospels, obviously, and he was dealing with some issues that had arisen in the new church. And many of the letters were to resolve issues in the new church or to inspire the new churches. And there's something very different about the words of Jesus because he comes, and it says in Luke 9:16 that he, he welcomed the people and spoke about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. So Jesus' focus was on the kingdom of God. And that's pretty much all he spoke about for three years. He did have some disputes with Pharisees and so on. But his focus was the kingdom. And in this chapter of Luke, uh, of Luke 15, he's really talking about life and our relationship with God. And uh, it's human nature, not only human nature, but just in nature, to strive for life. Uh, I'm not a great softy when it comes to animals. We don't have pets. I think we once, years ago, we had some fish and uh, we managed to kill most of them by accident. So uh, uh, animals are not really my strong point. But uh, we moved house recently and uh, we, we've been amazed by the, the wildlife in the, in the, in the garden that, where we moved to. It's on the edge of town, so it's, you're almost in the countryside. And, uh, of course, we've got ducks that visit every day and uh, little ducklings have started springing up. And then one morning I got up in the kitchen, I could just hear these ducklings kind of a bit distressed. 
And uh, this little family had been visiting every day, and they started with eight ducklings and went down to about three. So I thought it was them, and one of them was in trouble, went out, couldn't see them, but I could hear this sort of distressed duck call, and this manic mother duck running all over the garden, like a Rottweiler duck was going to attack me. So eventually I found, uh, down a gap between next door's fence and our conservatory, there's a, there's a gap about this wide, and the eight little ducks just plopped down there. So I went to the toy shop and bought a fishing net, thinking I'd get them out, but it's so far down and so inaccessible I couldn't reach them, and after about two hours of them chirping away, I found the RSPCA. He couldn't get them, so we had to actually break the window in the conservatory. (laughs) Now, I'm using the word conservatory in the way that the estate agent who sold us the house used it. It's really a shed that someone's propped up at the back of the house <laughs> and put a lot of glass in it, so it's not a double-glazed affair. It, hopefully it will be when we finish the renovations. But, so we just smashed this window and uh, we got the ducks out. But what it struck me as I've observed all this wildlife is that everything is striving for life. We kind of thought all these little ducks were cute and that was kind of nice. And then you see a crow come out of a tree and take a live duckling and up to the tree to feed live to his chicks. And he where do your, uh, you know, where, where do your feelings lie? Is it with a crow who's only trying to, you know, survive? Uh, or with the mother duck who's sort of squawking because one of her babies has been taken away. But there's this striving in every species for life. It's a natural thing uh, to strive for life. And um, uh, we do a lot of work in Rwanda that suffered a lot of death and killing. <laughs> But the stories of that time in 1994 when the genocide happened, there are incredible stories of people striving for life. People who were in a church where, uh, you know, a thousand people were slaughtered. They were the only survivor and they laid sort of five days under a pile of dead bodies in order to preserve their life. And so there's this incredible thing that is just in human beings to always strive for life. And um, the author of life, God, has designed life really to only work when we come into a covenant relationship with him through Jesus Christ. And people have tried all sorts of other ways and philosophies, but you'll not really get life without this covenant relationship. So I want to look at this very familiar story because I've seen, although I've probably read this I went to a Church of England school when I was little, and we probably did this story when I was about seven or eight. And uh, I'm nearly 32 now, and uh, <laughs> plus VAT and parts. And, uh, you know, I think, can you find something new in this story? And I, I, I want to imagine that we're hearing it for the first time from Jesus. Uh, First thing, we see things about God in this story, and we see things about ourselves. Um, In verse 11, it says, A certain man had two sons. Now, these two sons represent a couple of different places to be. One one is the son who runs off and and wastes the father's property, and the other one who remains faithful but is disappointed. Those are the two characters in this story. And the younger son, in verse 12, says to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So, in other words, he's asking, 
What he's actually saying is, you're taking quite a long time to die, can I have my inheritance now? So there's an impatience with this young man. This property that he received was only really due uh, when his father died, that he would inherit that property. So there's an impatience Jesus talks about. And there is an impatience, especially with um, people further down the learning slope than me, uh, there's an impatience when you're young to see things done much more quickly. Um, and that, that was in the character of this son. There was an impatience. It's like, I think I can do it better. I, I've taken probably nearly a thousand funerals over the years, and um, some have been very inspiring, some have been very depressing, but the, 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 there's been a few cringy ones. Fortunately, I can't remember, I don't think it was anyone I knew, but, and I can't remember what the name was, but I've had a few, probably eight, where um, they don't want a hymn at the end. They put um, uh, Frank Sinatra singing, I Did It My Way. And uh, that will be one song I don't go into the kingdom of heaven after this life singing. <laughs> because I kind of have done it my way. I don't really want to draw that to God's attention at that moment <laughs> in time. <laughs> but when we're young, there is this kind of little bit of arrogance or ambition that, that if we did it our way, if people would just move out of the way, um, uh, we could do things uh, better. And in a way, there's, there's good and bad in that because things do get done and things get pioneered through that kind of spirit. But we have to be careful it's not the independent spirit of Adam who thinks they know better than God uh, and gets impatient with God, who obviously the father represents. But the, the, the father divided to them his livelihood. So here's another thing we learn, the character of God. If you've got that in you to be a bit impatient, Sometimes God says, go on then, make me laugh. <laughs> Let's see you do it your way. And, uh, you know, my mum and dad used to say when we were little and we did things like that, you know, well, you know, if you fall off that wall and break your legs, don't come running to me. And I was like, <laughs> if I fall off the wall and break my legs, I might come crawling to you. <laughs> and um, so... The father is very gracious, even to those who are, who are not in tune with him. And he, he allows us a lot of slack. And partly because he designed us and created us, and we're all unique. And he, he just like watching a small child learning to walk, but he, he loves it. You know, when, when a little baby takes first three steps and then fall over, you know, I don't know any parents saying, hmm, didn't do that very well, did you? They go, yes, they took three steps. And you're there, and you stand them up again and go, come on, and you're going to take five steps. And it's like, you know, they've just run a marathon. And that's God's heart towards that when he sees us taking steps and, and being the people that we should be. In verse 13, it says, Not many days after, uh, the, the young son gathered all together and journeyed to a far country and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. And isn't there something of that in us? And uh, I'm making a public confession here. When we, when we moved house uh, at the end of last year, uh, we, we purposely bought a house that needed renovating. And we put aside quite a large sum of money out of the sale of the previous house to do the renovations. Um, now we've got a nice new TV, and uh, I've got the log burner I want. And the men are coming to put the bathroom in next week, and I'm not entirely sure how we're going to pay for all of that. <laughs> 
So that there's a, there is something in human nature as well when you suddenly get more than you had before to waste it. And that's, but this, this guy wasted the whole lot, uh, the whole lot uh, in, a, in a foreign country. And then when you hit rock bottom, you know, sometimes even worse stuff happens. So he's, he's spent all he had anyway, so he thought he was at the bottom. But then a famine comes to that land. So now there's severe problems because he can't find a job, he can't even help himself. And he, he goes, you know the story, he goes and works in a pigsty. And uh, he would have gladly eaten the, the pig swill that the pigs were eating. That's how low down he came. And then a little light bulb went on because he's living in the pigsty. And sometimes we can go f- so far away from God and that we find ourselves just living like pigs. And this little light bulb comes on that even the people, probably, who look after his father's pigs, or you know the father's animals on the farm, whatever the business was, even the slaves live better than he was living. And so um, he, he thinks about going back to the father. So each of us has been given a precious gift of life. And I think one of the questions Jesus is going to ask us when we see him face to face is what have you done with that gift? And you see, he knows all the trouble that's in life. He said in this life you're going to have trouble. So making a long list of excuses is not really going to work on that day. I think that's one of the questions we'll be asked. And it's not so much about what have we done, but what have we done for him? What have we done to glorify his name? What have we done to advance his kingdom on earth? And he comes to a place, this young man, where he's estranged from the father. I mean, this isn't in the age of telephones, but this is like a relationship now where they're not texting each other. Hi, how's it going in the pigsties? That's not happening. That he's in a far-off country and there's no communication with the Father. And this light bulb comes on and he thinks, uh, what I could do is go back to my Father. Obviously, I can't go back as a son because I've wasted everything he gave me. But if I could get a job with my Father, uh, he treats his work as well and I could live better than I'm living now. And so he, he writes this speech, doesn't he, that... Uh, I'll arise and go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. That's his little speech that he's working on. And there's a place where we've been or we are, depending on our relationship with God. And Paul writes about it in Ephesians chapter 2. And he's writing to the people at Ephesus, and he says in Ephesians 2.12, that at that time you were without Christ, without the Anointed One, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's the place where we are if we're lost, if we don't know Christ and we don't know the Father. We're aliens, we're foreigners. 
There is uh, something, although it's got Europe all over the front of it, there is something handy as I travel around the world in having a British passport. In some places I go, that still has value. And uh, sometimes we, we've just got through things because we've got a British passport. So there's kind of some, some goodness about, about that when you get into some of the places I go to. But th this Paul is painting a picture of a place where you, there's no hope. You're aliens and foreigners in a strange land. You were without hope and without God. And that's where we are if we don't know Christ. But then he says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And then in verse 19, he carries on. Now, therefore, you're no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of Christ. So in verse 13, he said, once you were far off. And this is the thing. Some of us think that we have found God, that we have chosen God. But Jesus said, you did not choose me. I chose you. I remember when I read that the first time as a new Christian, I thought, yeah, I did. <laughs> I remember the morning in church when I chose you. No, God says, you didn't choose me. But then you realise, Don, you wouldn't even have been in church <laughs> that morning if God had not chosen you. You did not choose me. In the, in the proper church, in the Anglican church, uh, we, we uh, joking, joking. We, um, we, Carl was saying about you got this new video system and the new sound system. I said, we're praying for electricity at our church. <laughs> but in, in, in church, after communion, there, there's one of the prayers that the, the priest sometimes says, is uh, uh, Father of all, when we were still far off, you met us in your son and brought us home. I love that picture because it's like the picture in this story. And I think, flip, when I was in Manchester, I was very far off. Very far off. But Jesus met us. God, the father, met us in his son and brought us home. And then it goes on, dying and living. He declared your love, gave us grace and opened the gate of glory. It's very much... God coming to you, seeking you, visiting you in your distress or in your prodigal living or wherever you were. But God is coming to you. And my experience over the last 30 years is he keeps coming because we, we have a tendency to stray. And God is coming to you when we were still far off. And it's possible to wander away and be far from him, although uh, uh, we may not be lost, but we can wander far from him. And uh, it says you've been brought near by the blood of Christ, strangers from the covenant. And uh, back in the story of the lost son, he rose and went to his father but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And uh, this is the verse I kind of rediscovered this week. 
First of all, it says when he was far off, the father saw him. So every day, the father had been looking for him. That The father never gave up hope that his son would come back. But far more profound than the father was looking for him every day is, is this. This is a guy in the story that Jesus has painted who runs a business, who has servants and workers, and he has two sons, which the story is about. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion on him. So the father is not angry that he's wasted, that he wants to restore him. But this is the powerful thing. It says that his father ran. And uh, I'd never seen that before. And uh, I'm just a guy, but I know some people who kind of run businesses and are quite powerful. And I don't think I've ever seen them run. I've seen a lot of people around them running (laughs) all the time. You know, someone who's someone, they don't run. You know, they might do that and someone else runs. But it says that the father ran. There's an indignity in the picture of God running to close that gap because it should be us who are running to close the gap. The running father, just meditate on that phrase this week. The running father, he's running to you. He ought not to be that way, but he is. He's running to you. Not in anger, but in compassion, it says. He had compassion and he ran. And what did he do when he got there? He said he embraced him. And, and there's one of the translations, that says what it says, he fell on his neck. <laughs> That's a lovely sort of old Victorian language, a picture, an, an embrace, a close embrace. He ran to him and embraced him. So God's desire for us is to embrace us and to put things right with, her, with us. He ran and embraced him. Uh, a friend of mine said recently she loves that song, um, From a Distance, God is Watching Us by Bette Midler. I hate it. It's rubbish. <laughs> it's a lie of the devil. God is not watching you from a distance. The whole point of the Christmas story is that Jesus came down. He was incarnated into human flesh. God the Father is running. It's not from a flipping distance. (laughs) He's here. He's on your case. He's not on a cloud somewhere watching you from a distance. Rubbish. Bad theology. (laughs) He's here in the world. He's closer to you than your own arms and legs. Nearer than your own breath. He knows everything about you. Knows the number of hairs on your head. For some of us, that's a bigger task than others. <laughs> but there's a closeness with God. He is running to be with us. The running father. He embraces him, number one. Then he puts a robe on him. So he takes the rags. The man's been living in a pigsty. He smells. And he takes the rags from him and puts a robe on him. Restoration. He's putting him back where he should be as his son. He doesn't, he doesn't accept the speech. He won't, he won't have him back as a servant. Not possible. Not possible. Doesn't compute. You can come back as a son. 
And so he puts a robe on him. So something we don't deserve. God takes the ranks of doing it our way and gives us the robe of doing it his way. His robe of righteousness. It's not our righteousness, but his robe of righteousness. And then he gives him a ring. I don't mean he phoned him. I mean he... (laughs) He puts a ring on him, which in that time in that culture is a sign of authority. And the nearest we've got today is some bishops that wear rings that they like you to kiss when you meet them. Uh, I've never indulged in that sort of practice and don't think I ever will. But anyway, that it was a sign of authority. And so he not only clothed him and cleaned him, but he restored his authority. There was an authority we had in the earth before the fall. God gave dominion over the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and every moving creature to Adam and Eve. And we gave that authority to Satan. So there's a restoration in Christ of the authority of the Son. You notice the Father hasn't mentioned the sin yet. He's restoring it. And then, of course, slaves in those days didn't wear shoes. And he gave him shoes. And uh, if you go to Africa, that's, that, that's quite a powerful verse. And some of our sponsored kids, you see, grew up without shoes. And there's a little boy they laugh at sometimes when they tell the story. Because when, when kids get sponsored with us, one of the first things they do, they get a school uniform and they get a pair of black school shoes. And that pair of school shoes is, the, for most of them, it's the first pair of shoes they've ever had in their life. And they have a little meeting the day before they start school. And so the teacher told them to come to school tomorrow with your black shoes. And so this little boy put them in his bag <laughs> and came to school with his black shoes in his bag. Because he's so unused to wearing them, because that's not, his, that's not where he is in society. His family don't have shoes. But he, he heard the teacher that you have to bring your shoes. <laughs> and then she had to explain, no, you need to put them on, because now you're someone else. You're a person with shoes. And uh, it's a bit like that when, the, when God restores us. He takes us from the image of being a slave to sin and puts shoes on us, because we now, we're a different person. Uh, we're a son or a daughter. And then he throws a party. And this is why we called RSVP RSVP, because you know God's invited us all to a party that's out of this world, and we have to RSVP the invitation. And he throws this party. So you see this incredible story that we're very familiar with, where this lost son comes back in repentance and is completely restored. And the thing is, most of us, Many of us, if not most of us, have such a low opinion of ourselves that we see ourselves much lower than God sees us and therefore we don't believe we can do the things that God thinks we can do. And God comes to us, whether we've been believers a long time or we're not even believers, to restore us again and again and overthrow the lies of Satan. Now there's another character in this story Oh, one last thing to say before that, sir. Um, you know, no one remembers the halftime score. Last night, if it was one all in the first half, but six nil, I won't say who to, 
in the uh, 6-1 rather in the second half no one will be talking about the half time score it's the final score that's remembered and that's what was important to that lost son no, the father didn't remember the half time half time is 10-0 to the devil you're in the pigsty <laughs> but the end score was very different that wasn't the end score and whatever's gone on in your life I'm telling you God won't remember the halftime score and neither will the world but they will remember the final score and so I want to finish well I don't want you to read about me on the front page of the news of the world for the wrong reasons because that will be the final score I want to finish well one of my great heroes that I admire is Billy Graham how he's still going I don't know I heard he, he spoke at a meeting the other day. The guy's got cancer and Parkinson's disease. He must be about 106. <laughs> well, I, think he's, I think he's in his 90s, isn't he? late 80s, 90s. N- never a hint of scandal attached to him. And the final, I'm sure the final score there is, is going to be top-notch, a winner. And I'm sure he would say he's got all sorts of faults, but... But I want to finish well, and that should be our target, to finish well. Now, just as I finish, there, there is this other character. And this is where a lot of us in the church are. And he, he hears the kind of karaoke, I'm paraphrasing there, and uh, <laughs> he hears the noise, and uh, in verse 25, he, he, and those verses following, begins to ask the servants, what's happened? And they say, your brother who was lost has come home and you... Your dad's thrown a party and he's, he's really cross. And um, he says in verse 29, These many years I've been serving you and never transgressed your command at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours, not this brother of mine, note, <laughs> this son of yours comes who has devoured your livelihood with prostitutes and kill, you kill the fatted calf for him. And then Jesus puts these words in the father's mouth. Son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. That's a covenant statement. And what we who have been in the church a long time and saved a long time need to know is that uh, we shouldn't be walking around thinking we're disappointed that God's not answered some prayer. God's word to us is that you are always with me and everything I have is yours. And so if we haven't got the answer that we need yet, we need to break through in prayer because the problem is not at God's end. We need to stir up our faith and break through. And I'm convinced that this is a key verse in the Bible where Jesus puts in the mouth of the Father, who, who is obviously clearly the character of God, that you are always with me and everything I have is yours. That is, those who are around doing the Father's business. But he never asked his Father for anything Therefore, he never got anything. But if we ask, everything the Father has is ours, and we should break through. And um, I just want us to take time. So if you, if you feel that you're in some of those places that those two sons are in the story, I just want you to know today is your day that God, want, God is running to you. He's not hesitant. If you need healing, he says, everything I have is yours. Clearly the whole life on earth in the flesh of Jesus show that God has 
healing power which went on into the early church and continues to the present day. Jesus went up, the spirit came down, the disciples went out, the lost came in. That's kind of how it works. So it's here today. So I want to offer prayer for those of you who are sick. And uh, I've, some of you, many of you know that I've seen God do incredible miracles. The blind see the lame walk. Last Sunday we were in Spain. It was a little bit warmer than this. And uh, uh, people came for prayer at the end. And uh, this lady had had pains in her knees uh, for years. And she said instantly the pain just went. And she was uh, walking around after the service just amazed that the pain had gone. So whatever your need is today, I want us to pray. Because that's what Jesus did. He welcomed the people, spoke about the kingdom, and healed those who needed healing. So let's stand if we can, if we're able. And I just want you to close your eyes and and, and kind of meet with God now and just just see down the road there's this someone's running towards you and it's, it's actually the Father. He's running to meet your need, to meet you at the point of your need where you are, that he might restore you to your full potential. And set you free to do what he created you to do. So I'm just going to pray against sickness. And then if you want prayer, I'd ask you to come and uh, join me at the front. And I'll come and just lay a hand on you and speak a word of faith over you. And you won't need to tell me what you want prayer for. Uh, We're just going to pray that God meets you at the point of your need. So Father, in the name of Jesus, we come against every sickness, every disease. Whether in body, mind or spirit, we declare that the name of Jesus is above every name. And it's above the name of cancer, blindness, pain, sickness, disease, arthritis. It's above the name of every sickness and every disease. We curse that spirit of Satan that comes to steal, kill and destroy. And we receive and welcome the spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, who came that we might have life more than enough in abundance. Life, more than enough life, more than enough healing, more than enough restoration, more than enough blessing, more than enough presence of the Father. We receive you, Holy Spirit. Come now and touch your people, we pray in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening today. I pray that that was uh, helpful and encouraging to you. Do drop me a line at don at rsvptrust.co.uk to let me know that you're listening to the podcast and uh, what you think of it. That's always helpful. And as I said at the beginning, do join us for the RSVP healing conference in Ipswich on Saturday the 17th of July uh, and receive ministry from my great friend Roy Todd. So we'll see you next time on the podcast. The RSVP Trust, changing lives around the world.